Looking at these stars, suddenly dwarfed by my own troubles and all the gravities of terrestrial life, I thought of their unfathomable distance and the slow, inevitable drift of their movements out of the unknown past into the unknown future. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Matt, yeah. that's quite strange because haven't you got quite a lot of slow, inevitable drifts of your movement? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm regular as clockwork. I'm, I'm like a Newtonian galaxy. You're still, re- you're still eating enough fibre? Regular as clockwork. Well, Matt, I think I'm glad to hear it. And I'll tell you what, H.G. Wells, who that lovely quote mm-hmm. was from, would be glad to hear it too. Oh, absolutely. He was very concerned about people's movements, as we heard in the quote. As he should be, as we all should be. So, Matt, how are you? Are you all right? I'm very well, thank you. A little bit hungover from the beer that you were giving me yesterday. Yeah, I gave you some strong beer, didn't you I? You didn't warn me that it was like 7.8 or whatever it was. It's ridiculous. I'm preparing you for when we go to Mars, Matt. That's all we're going to get. It did have the sweet taste of free. <laughs> That's your favourite price, isn't it? <laughs> it is my favourite taste in beer. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Matt, let's talk about On This Day. Mm, on This Day. So, yeah, Friday, 1990 was the classic Magellan space probe, which, which reached Venus on this very day, 1990. The Magellan space probe. I mean, that's if, if, if you call something epic, that's it, isn't it? That's an epic thing. Oh, we, we need to send more stuff to Venus. It's actually ridiculous how, how it's completely overlooked. And Mar- oh, Mars this, Mars that... Come on. Uh, oh, the, it's all about the red planet. What about Venus, Matt? Is it because Mars doesn't rhyme with... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly why no one talks about Venus. Yeah, it's just a bit embarrassing. It is a bit embarrassing, Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. And God knows, Matt, you know that I do not I do not like a euphemism. So I'm sticking well clear of it. And Saturday, Jamie, is the 49th anniversary of the Apollo 11 astronauts being released from their three-week quarantine. That's amazing. You know what, Matt? Next year for the 50th, I think we should get our mate Al Worden back on the line. We, we need to absolutely desperately need to get that dude back in next year, and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to do it. Uh, get him on Skype for the 100th. Yeah, big time. We'll ask him. So here we go. Um, follow the account at Apollo underscore 50th. They're doing the whole history of Apollo program. They're tweeting it. Every mission, every That's event. Give, give them a follow. And uh, if you like what they say, why not bang a retweet out? Do it. Do it. Hey, Matt, you know what it's, retweet, you know what it's it. time yes. for now, don't you? Is it Space, space legend, legend of the, the Week? Happy 99th birthday, Eleanor Margaret Burbage. She was born Eleanor Peachy. Well, that's a great name, isn't it? It's a great name. But get this, it's her 99th birthday on Sunday. Oh, happy birthday, Eleanor. Amazing. Which actually puts her in the kind of same age bracket as James Lovelock. Another great name. Another great person and great name. Imagine if Peachy had married Lovelock. Peachy Lovelock. They would both want to keep their surnames, wouldn't they? She didn't marry James Lovelock. She actually married Geoffrey Burbage. And this is going to be pretty important. But anyway, so yeah, Eleanor Margaret Burbage 
is one of the most important astrophysicists of all time. Born in Davenport in Great Britain, she's now an American citizen and has been for some time, in, since 1977 in fact. And she's been the director of the Royal Greenwich Observatory. She's been at University of London Observatory, the Yerkes Observatory in Chicago, Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, the California Institute of Technology, and... Uh, she's most associated with the University of California, San Diego, right. where she's worked since she's 1962, and uh, she's the Emeritus Professor still at the age of 99 there, still working on, like, amazing stuff. If that doesn't inspire you to get up off your ass, I don't know what will, Matt. No. She's still rocking it at 99. That's she amazing. Did, uh, and she she helped develop the spectrograph in the Hubble t- Space Telescope, and discovered a massive black hole at the centre of M82. Whoa. So she's still going and, st- and still doing stuff. But her most famous contribution, which she made with her husband, Jeffrey, and really, quite surprisingly, she hasn't won the Nobel Prize for this, but it's called the B-squared FH theory. It's called B-squared because it's Burbage, Burbage, Fowler and Hoyle. Fred Hoyle, of course, uh, and actually the Fowler in that list won a Nobel Prize for something else. So right. it's it's a very distinguished list of people. But they came up with how uh, uh, basically stellar nuclear synthesis. God, that's no easy task. Yeah, stellar nucleosynthesis. I mean, they just beat us to it, Matt. So all the chemical elements might be synthesized in stars. That was their amazing insight. Uh, which obviously led to people like Carl Sagan saying we're all made of stardust. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, it's, she's not s- someone that, that you hear of very often, but she's clearly an absolute legend. And it's her 99th birthday on Sunday. And uh, she's not only that, she's quite famous because she was the first director at the Royal Greenwich Observatory, which was the first time in 300 years that that post wasn't associated with the Astronomer Royal. Uh, and she said that that it was sexism that allowed that to happen. Right. She's actually turned down some prizes because she felt that they were sexist, but not sexist in a in a anti women, but but, but anti men. So in 1972, she turned down the Annie J. Cannon Award of the American Astronomical Society mm. because it's awarded to women only. And she says it's high time that discrimination in favour of, as well as against, women in professional life be removed. She basically was, just gets more legendary as you go on. Oh, yeah, so she's... And uh, 12 years later, the Society awarded her with its highest honour, which is the Henry Norris Russell Lectorship. So that that is, like, the highest honour you can win from from there. And she's got lots and lots of, you know, different... Um, awards as she's been going around doing her thing. Is Henry Norris Russell in any way related to you, Matt? Uh, bound to be. Yeah. Henry Russell? Well, you are related to Churchill, aren't you? Related to Churchill, but I'm, more importantly, I'm related to the Russells of the Dukes of Bedford. So if Henry Norris is in that line, then yeah, possibly. possibly well, there we go. Possibly. Check yeah. it Check it out. Me and Uncle Bertie Russell well, as well. Happy birthday, yes. Eleanor, for Sunday. Uh, I will be, I'll be raising a drink on Sunday in, in honour of you. And, 99. Um, 99. Uh, Matt, long, long may she continue. So she was 50, get, get this, she was 50 when Neil Armstrong was on the moon. It's just 
That's just my God. rad, right? Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. That is just mental. I'll tell you what so, else is rad, Matt. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for the space word of the week? Space word of the week. Do it. Sidereal time. Sidereal? You say sidereal. I say I say sidereal. No, sidereal. Matt, this is, this is <laughs> yes. time relative to the stars other than the sun. Yeah, so as the Earth rotates, instead of using the sun as the reference point, you know, like 24... Basically, in 24 hours, the sun is in the same place yeah. each day, right? So you look at 2 p.m., the sun's there, and then 24 hours later, it's in the same place. And that's the time relative to what's happening with the sun. But what if you do the same thing relative to the stars mm. is called sidereal time or sidereal time. And uh, it's pretty, obviously, it's pretty important. It's in, in astronomy, it's probably more important. So for a given observation point, a star find at one location in the sky will be found at the exact same location the next night, 24 hours later, uh, in sidereal time, but not in real time. Mm. So roughly a sidereal day or a sidereal day is 23 hours 56 minutes and 4 seconds in fact 4.0905 seconds to be oh, precise Matt, let's be precise yeah we are going to be precise but the be. most incredible thing about all of this is that it's actually not quite precise because there is this weird thing called precession that the earth suffers from so the march equinox it proceeds, it has precession, processes, and that's a sort of gravity-induced slow and continuous change of the orientation of a rotational axis. Oh, I was about to say that. So not only is the Earth spinning on its axis, but it's got a kind of wobble. And that gradual shift takes 25,772 years <laughs> to do a cycle. Jeez. So, so you have to factor that in as well. And actually, that's known as the Earth rotation angle, which is the true sidereal period. So there's well, a bit Matt, of... Well, let's be honest. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you were rotating as fast, you'd wobble too, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So... 0.0084 seconds shorter than it should be. So uh, there's eight one-thousandths of a second from sidereal time to uh, earth rotation angle or era so the slightly long so the slightly longer true mm. sidereal period is measured mm. as the earth's rotation angle or the era mm. formerly the stellar angle an mm. increase of 360 degrees in the era is a full rotation of the earth is that right yep exactly bang on and yet it wouldn't quite be that if you weren't taking that huge 25,772-year cycle <laughs> into account. Yeah. So I think a lot it. of this, yeah, so this, these changes for, from the ERA and, the, <laughs> and uh, sidereal time were made in January 2003. And it was because of basically much better ways of measuring uh, how the stars were changing in position over these periods and actually getting this um, procession exactly right. So, And that was done using very long baseline interferometry, or VLBI. I like the sound of that, Matt. How cool is that? Yeah. Every, everywhere everywhere has their local 
local sidereal time as well, sidereal time. But the kind of standard one is is based where do you think? Uh, sta- well, it's got to be Greenwich, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Get you know in I mean? Greenwich. Just saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, space Matt, how word cool is it at Greenwich, of the Greenwich week? Observatory when they mm. point the laser down into the city? Oh, yeah, it's really cool. Um, Jamie, some sad news, and I know that you are a massive fan of all this. Go on. But asteroid mining is not going very well at the moment. Ah, uh, I was so excited about it, and now yeah. everyone's shooting me down. Yeah, What's th- this is. <laughs> Yeah, you, it hasn't had a very kind response. I'm. I still think that there's something in asteroid mining. I'm. 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 I'm with Jeff Bezos on it and the the kind of flipped industry model. But here we go. Um, planetary resources, which is like the kind of big player in this, is in financial difficulties. It kind of missed a uh, funding opportunity, mm. uh, and uh, now it's really, really short of cash, so it's selling all its CNC machines and 3D printers and laptops and stuff like that, and oh. laying off loads of workers. Selling their folded chairs? That can't be right. <laughs> selling their folding chairs? Yeah, I think that... I've <laughs> just selling everything. Are they having a... I imagine this taking place in a car park, like a car boot sale. And like a massive car boot yeah. sale, yeah. In yeah, some 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 sometime in the next couple of weeks. CNC machine, anyone? Ten pounds. Oh, I'd love a CNC machine. It'd just be the best thing ever. Yeah. But um, so yeah, if you can get yourself down to where planetary resources are based, get yourself a bargain. Remember the Arkid satellites, and uh, it was all the old man. It's from Manchester. Yeah. Arkid. Arkid. Oasis satellites. Love it. They actually, they've actually flown one up on SpaceX. Uh, rocket that carried the CRS six, and the other one went up on an ISRO rocket, mm. and uh, they they went out and actually proved the technology that they could sort of prospect for water, and I and so they've been successful. They just haven't got the they just haven't got the next bunch of funding. No, that, I mean it's, we know how much funding is required, and I think that it's a little bit SpaceX in terms of their timeline ambitions. However. Mm. It's going to happen, isn't it? It's inevitable, isn't it? Big time. Big time. There's just too there's simply too much money in it to be made. Well, well, yeah, but that's the that's the nightmare, isn't it? There's loads of money in it, but you'd also crash it. I think it's the environmental thing that that's really interesting. If you mm. can get your heavy industry. Ah, oh, I mean, when you hear James Lovelock talking about how we may have passed the point of of like being able to do something about global warming, it's like we we really better put a concerted effort of putting like a huge, like basically an absolutely mammoth task of sorting this out, and maybe asteroid mining is part of that solution. Yeah. I'm definitely with Zubrin when it's where, where I think it's all about finding the technological route out of global warming rather than thinking about how you basically wipe out loads of human beings, and that's the solution. We're not going to cut back on our consumerism. It's just not going to happen. We need to find the technology. Do it now. Yes, Matt, I agree with you. But we we need to try and oh, cut yeah, back. That, oh, there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being efficient. We should be trying for efficiency for big big time. Oh, absolutely, going for solar. But there's power just and, not enough. But there isn't enough. Well, we're uh, already yeah, seeing it. Yeah. Look, look what they're saying about global warming, Matt. You know, it's it's hideous. It's hideous it's as a nightmare. Good. It's not good. Talking of tipping points, yes, Jamie, NASA are awarding forty-four million 
dollars to six commercial partners mm. for in support of tipping point technologies and one of those will be in fact i think blue origin won a couple of these but the most notable is is for its blue moon lunar lander program oh lovely yeah there's a there's a complete list of them on the nasa website and there's some really interesting projects in there yeah go blue origin matt whenever yeah. i hear blue moon i always think of uh, the moony scene in greece Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Big time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big Classic. time. Classic. <laughs> Sorry, what a tangent. Well, uh, yeah, that was a tangent. Here's the big news of the week, though, wasn't it? The big news that happened this week, and it was, we just missed it from the, on the last podcast. We did. But it, it really is the kind of, um, for, for Americans, they must be very, very excited by the return or the imminent return of human space flight back to america after a go. massive delay since 2011 yeah i mean it's just like like bad so yeah nasa last week introduced us all to the nine astronauts that will be flying on the commercial spacecraft there we go who we got there is going to be a boeing orbital flight test and yeah. that's going to be late this year as predicted at the start of the year on our in, in our year re- uh, preview um but I, I'm going to go with it's going to be early 2019 for this. So that's going to be uncrewed. But the first crew flight test is going to be mid-2019 for Boeing, but possibly April for SpaceX. So they're going to be up in front. So let's have a look who's Ooh. flying the test flight for the Starliner. So this is a guy called Eric Bow. Yeah. And Eric Bow is a very experienced astronaut. Uh, and flew um, on the final flight of Discovery, mm-hmm. STS-133, and piloted the space shuttle Endeavour for STS-126. So he, he's a pilot who piloted both those space shuttle missions and has been waiting for a mission ever since. Oh. Which, God, seems a long time, doesn't it? Uh, Christopher Ferguson who's also piloted a space shuttle, STS-115. He's commanded the shuttle Endeavour, the STS-126, and he commanded the final flight of the space shuttle program, the STS-135. And they're joined by Nicole Aonapu Mann. And she was chosen in 2013 to be an astronaut after a stellar career as a test pilot, including F-18s and stuff like that. And Ooh, it's going to be a first lovely. trip to space. So Good work, that Nicole. A, that's a pretty solid crew, isn't it? That is solid. You know, you would, you'd trust them, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's rocking crew, that is. It's rocket crew. So it is rocket crew. And then we've got the crew Dragon Test flight astronauts, of which there's only two. You've got Robert Benken, who flew twice on an Endeavour, STS-123 and 130, and he's done six spacewalks. And you have Douglas Hurley, um, and he piloted Space Shuttle Endeavour STS-127 and Atlantis STS-135. And again, he was uh, the pilot for the final Space Shuttle mission. Nice. So he flew with Christopher Ferguson, who's on the Starliner test. So these are seriously cool astronauts who've done loads and have been waiting for their next chance to have a, like... An amazing moment. God, well, what a moment. I mean, how exciting is that? So so these are just the test flights. And then you've got the actual, like, first missions. And that's going to be the Starliner. You've got Josh Casada, 
who's been a test pilot, uh, a bit like Nicole. He was uh, he was selected in 2013. Um, and Sunita Williams, who is incredibly, um, you know, experienced astronaut, and she did Expeditions 14, 15, and Expeditions 32, 33, and has commanded the space station and has done seven spacewalks. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Crew Dragon, Victor Glover, who is cool as well it's a great name uh, again yeah victor glover uh he's a test pilot and uh, again was cho- chosen in uh, 2013 so that's a pretty cool class of that to, to have been chosen wasn't it the 2013 class it's like it's shuttle year. flights of shuttle flights have ended i'm just gonna have to wait until the commercial space gets his act together and michael hopkins who did expedition 37 38 and has done two uh spacewalks good on you so, hoppo so that is really exciting, isn't it? And to and to, it must have been a proper buzz. Excuse the pun. So it really does look like SpaceX are going to uh, win this it's one. It's happening, isn't it? It's if, happening. If they, I can think, you know, Elon Musk is going to push him and push him and push him. There are some there are some problems with the SpaceX one though. They you remember the the um, Falcon that blew up on the launch pad. Mm. Well, the problem with that is. It was the these things called the composite overwrap pressure vessels, mm. which which which. So they've they've actually upgraded that particular part of the spacecraft, but that hasn't actually flown yet. I thought I thought when they upgraded it, it would have been in the in the block five, but apparently not. So they've got to get that done, and then the, they have to fly that exact setup seven times before NASA are going to be happy. But SpaceX are really flying two falcons a month now roughly so they should be able to they should be able to smash that out banging them out keep going yeah. lads and lasses yeah. it's also worth mentioning that this week was the week we saw a falcon 9 block 5 reused and reland so i think that might go down as one of the most important things that have happened in a long long time you know well, this it's is getting to be the norm which is a cr- yeah. incredible isn't it if this block five rocket can be turned around faster and faster and faster, then we actually might see the reusability becoming a financial no brainer. I mean, still, still there's a little bit of a shadow of doubt that you can make it work and make it, you know, better than expendable rockets, but this would really put the nail in the coffin. Unfortunately, I can't see how it doesn't put the nail in the coffin to things like Skylon as well, because it's just like becomes, isn't it? Because you've got this reusability and it's so much more simple and cheap. And but I just don't know. I don't well, know. There's, got, there's a, got to be. You've got to be in it to win it, haven't you? Got to be in it. But maybe different vehicles do different things, and that there's a niche for adapt like or die. Adapt or die. What film's that from? That I don't know. It's several. I would imagine. I don't know either. Just it's got to be from some film. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. <laughs> Who's probably in it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe how many times I've said this. Rocket Lab have announced that they're going to be launching its business time in November. But we've had that all year, haven't we? we we've been saying that they're going to launch this rocket all year. So they've. Um, that's a bit of a weird one. But then they're going to do the fourth flight a few weeks later. So they, they're kind of softening the blow of this continual delay on, yeah. on its business time. It's getting a time. bit dull, isn't it? Come on, lab. Come on. Come on, Rocket Lab. 
And one little space thing that I think everyone should definitely look out for is the Perseid meteor shower. Oh, yes, Perseid. That's happening this weekend, in fact. Particularly spectacular uh, this year, Matt. Yeah. Because the moon will be a thin crescent and set early, leaving a lovely dark canvas for the meteor's bright streaks and fireballs. Absolutely. I'm going to be out there with my camera. I just hope. Oh, let's we just get hope some, it's clear. We get some clear weather this weekend. Because we got bugger all with the blood moon at this side of the world. Yeah, we, we, we really did. I actually did see the moon behind cloud and could see it become a crescent behind the cloud. I just didn't get the blood well, effect. But it what was, was cool is weird. we saw lightning that was like red kind of blood lightning, which was very cool. Blood but red I still light. Miss- yeah. Well, that's even cooler than a blood red moon. It is cool, but I was, I was so up for the moon that I was kind of like, hmm. you know, still. First world problems, Matt. Absolutely. Matt, uh, according to NASA meteor expert Bill Cook, yeah. the shower should feature 60 to 70 meteors per hour at its peak. Which is really good. I, I, I'm, it's a lot. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a good little ratio. Hey, Matt, I hope it's good. That's it's one good. a minute, roughly. You're right, Jamie. That's a good. And, and, piece and people of say that I'm not the intelligent one. <laughs> Uh, it's like when I'm driving down the motorway at 60 miles an hour and I think every mile's a minute and I get really excited by that hey Matt I'm going to make you more excited by Mm. giving you my space fact fact of the week week. Matt it's Mm. surprisingly hard to go to the sun let me talk to you tell me it takes 55 times more energy to go to the sun than it does go to go to Mars Uh see it's so counterintuitive. You think you could just sort of fall off the Earth, and the sun's gravity would just just take you there. Right I mean, it's ninety nine point eight percent of the mass of the solar system. You'd think you'd just get like you'd almost be like a if a black hole was there, you'd instantly assume that we'd all be sucked off. Let me ask the question: Why is it so difficult? So our planet is travelling very fast, about sixty seven thousand miles per hour. Uh, almost entirely sideways relative to the sun. Uh, the only way to get to the sun is to cancel that sideways motion. Yeah, well, I mean, it is what it's like. It's if you've got a, a tennis ball on a piece of string, mm. you've, it's got to go quite fast for the string to remain tight, right? Mm. So, it's in other words, the Earth has to be going fast to remain in orbit around the sun. That That is what mm. an orbit is. And that's why spacecraft have to go very, very fast so they can get into orbit around the Earth, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, the, the, the Earth's going really, really fast. So if you want to reduce your orbit, you've got to slow down. And it's, and it's yeah, it's... it's but do you know how the solar Parker... So we're talking about this because the, 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 the Parker solar probe, which takes off very soon on a Delta IV Heavy, yes. is has got to make this journey. It's got to make this journey, Jamie. So it's, it's, do you know how it does it? And this is just absolutely incredible. Go on. Well, well, A, it's on a Delta IV heavy rocket. And the reason being, you need like a, a really powerful start to this uh, mission. Because mm. it's not particularly big, but, it, it, but it, it needs that like push. And um, it's going to go into solar orbit and use Venus as a gravity assist to slow it down, to get its orbit down. Uh, and and it's going to do 24 close approaches to the sun as, as part of this, like um, slowing down and using Venus seven times um, 
that's crazy. To, 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 to get it like to, to reduce its speed in that direction. However, <laughs> it's actually going to speed up the actual probe itself. Huh? Well, it's it's you've got to think of the speed and the velocity as as vectors. So its speed is different to its velocity. It's got a velocity that it needs to get rid of in one direction, but it needs to increase its velocity as it as it does these orbits around the sun. So it will become mm. the fastest ever human-made object and will be clocking 430,000 miles per hour on its final That's orbit. That's fast. <laughs> That's fast. Well, it? it's fast enough to go from Philadelphia to Washington in one second, or if you like, from Philadelphia to Tokyo in one minute. Matt, when I was in primary school, my nickname was First Class Franklin because I was the fastest fastest kid on sports sports day. Were you really? Yeah, so I can relate. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be humanity's first visit to a star. We've never actually got and so apart from all like just getting there, the Parker Solar Probe is just an amazing piece of kit. It's just ridiculous. I hope it's going to wear some sun cream, Matt. It, it has got to wear sun cream. Get this. I mean, what's it made of, dude? It, here's, here's a really interesting fact for you. This is, this is definitely a, a, a fact. So in space, you can have a temperature that can be thousands, if not millions of degrees, that doesn't actually provide, uh, it doesn't actually give you uh, a significant heat right? So temperature and heat are actually two different things. So temperature measures how fast particles are moving, and heat Mm. measures the total amount of energy that's contained within that. So if you're in something where the medium is quite, you know, nebulous, I suppose, you know, very rare, then Mm. uh, even though you've got very, very fast-moving particles, i.e. very, very high temperatures, you might not actually have that much heat so this this Got actually it. relates to the, the 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 sun shield on the solar park parker probe. So it has this heat shield that's four point five inches thick, and it's a carbon composite, which is which is a foam of carbon sandwiched between two carbon plates, uh, and it basically is exposed to uh, uh, temperatures of several million degrees, but the heat (laughs) is only about 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,400 degrees Celsius, which is still ridiculous, uh, and that's why you've got this carbon composite um, shield. Uh, And all all the instruments on the telescope remain at room temperature. Would you still be able to cook an egg, Matt? Well, 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,400 degrees Celsius is as hot as lava or much hotter than lava. Lava's about 1,200 degrees Celsius. So it's considerably hotter than lava. So, yes, your egg would be completely eviscerated. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would definitely be uh, sunny side up, shall we say. Do you want to hear about the do you, do you want to hear about the instruments the instruments on this technological marvel do I <laughs> four instruments the fields and I've never actually worked out what fields stands for but it might just actually just be called fields 
Oh, I'll tell you later. It's expe- it, it's it's um it's a tricky one. It is I'll a tricky one. No, nice, nice, nice. It, it it I wonder if I stands for instrument. Absolutely bound to. Wrong, um, but 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 <laughs> it <laughs> it measures the waves and turbulence in the inner heliosphere with high resolution. So you can understand the fields associated with wave shocks and magnetic reconnection as the field lines explosively realign. And then you've got WISPER, which stands for Wide Field Imager for Parker Solar Probe. So, yeah, and that is an instrument that looks at the large-scale structure of the corona and solar wind before the spacecraft flies through it. And it's Mm. about the size of a shoebox. Uh, so that's like an Im- so basically it's going to be taking pictures of the coronal mass ejections and other jets and uh, things that are coming out of the sun. Mm. Actually, as it's taking these pictures going away from the sun, those those jets etc. may actually overtake the spacecraft and like uh, uh, because it's they're going so fast, even though that's going four hundred seventy thousand miles an hour, it, it'll kind of overtake it. Oh, so my head hurts yeah. again, Matt. And then you've got the Solar Wind Electrons, Alphas, and Protons Investigation, or SWEEP. It's my <laughs> kind that, of investigation. And I believe that's one of the instruments that's actually outside of the protective um, shield. Uh, and so it's had to be made of titanium, zirconium, molybdenum, and it has a melting point of 4,260 degrees Fahrenheit, so much higher than it's going to be exposed to. And it's been specially built using lots of different techniques. But I think the, the craziest bit, obviously, is you need cables that carry the information from, this, from these instruments. The uh, clever engineers had to grow sapphire crystal tubes to suspend the wiring. And the wires themselves are made from niobium. Matt, did you know that the first successful synthetic crystals growing process in the late 1800s was the venual method matt this all sounds like sci-fi but it's not it's it does, real it? it's not it's not and then my favorite instrument of them all because it uses a symbol in its name is esis spelt i s o but the o has a dot in the middle which is the symbol for the sun so i s o i s esis not to be confused with ISIS. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why they put the O in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and that uh, basically uses two instruments uh, to measure particles across a wide range of energies. Uh, so two energetic instruments are called the epi-low and the epi-high. So energetic particle Stands to reason. Its orbital period will be 88 days. It's going to last seven years. It's... Um, it's only 635 kilograms, the whole, the whole uh-huh. thing. Uh, it's only about three metres tall, so it's not massive. And the solar arrays, are, are, that's the clever bit. They kind of have to tuck themselves away as it gets near the sun because they'd, obviously they'd get damaged. So that, that, that it has to fly in a really special way and have these amazing manoeuvres to stop the solar arrays getting completely mm. trashed. And it's basically going to solve some of the biggest mysteries of the sun. The main one being, why is the corona so much hotter than the surface of the sun? And one of the leading experts um, um, and the theory that's really being tested is a theory 
posed by Professor Parker. Yes, he's back. There we go. Here's the list of our Skylon. Basically, this podcast would not be possible. This is all down to you guys contributing. And all of that is genuinely, genuinely to the legends that are Bob Hodges, yes, Bob. Word Up, Catherine Carr. Catherine, you know what you're doing. You rule. New legend, Darren Fuchs. Darren, you are. He's the man, isn't he? Totally the man. Erin Edwards. Yes, Erin, again. Big up yourself. Jeffrey Marlam. Papa Jeff, Big Jeff. The Big JM. John Benack. Big John, yes. Super legend. I I can barely say this name without the embarrassment of riches that this guy has given us. Julio Apreya. Oh, I mean, the gift that keeps on giving. Justin Roberts. Justin, thank you. JR. I like to call him JR. Oh, JR, yeah, yeah, yeah. Karel Sim. Karel Sim. I I love you. Matt Gilliland. The infamous MG. He's the best of the mats. And Richard Swain. Richard, listen, you're very special. Listen, thank you, everyone. That uh, and like Matt says, we couldn't do we don't want to ever do adverts, and so this means we rely on your generous contributions or we couldn't really do this so thank you so much keep it up we finally managed to come up with a format for our space news it will get better so we've got a monthly space news uh little thing yeah. little 10 minute monthly space news for our patrons for our patrons only it's quite special uh george does all the music for me and uh, so that that's quite fun. It's quite fun. Jamie and I are going to swap reading the monthly space news yeah. and see who can do it in the most ridiculous voice that doesn't get irritating for ten minutes. Yeah, please let us know if that's annoying, um, and we'll just do it. We'll just do it anyway. So by the end of the year, we want to vote on which one was your favourite. So patrons only that. Let us know what you think, Jamie. Shall we let the uh, spod cats go? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Right. Thanks for listening. No interview this week, so you, you can go home early. Yeah, exactly. You let <laughs> off the hook. Jamie. Yes. We're done now. We're done. You're done, though. They've been listening to the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting the ace back into suspense. Bye. Bye. Bye.